This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation. And those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. My name is Nick Lamparelli. I'll be your host tonight. My co-host for this evening as well is Tony Cagnes. Tony, how are you? Fantastic. Our guest this evening is Rick McCatherine. Rick is the head of insurance for Hippo Insurance. Hippo is a startup homeowner's insurance company based out in California. And reading their uh, LinkedIn about us, Hippo is a new kind of insurance company that uses modern technology to provide a simpler process, smarter coverage, and a completely new approach for how they insure homes. Rick McCatherine, welcome to Profiles in Risk. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Rick, I was reading your LinkedIn profile and something struck me. I'm always trying to look for something that I can really dig into. And you grew up in an insurance family. And so my before I kick it over to you for an elevator pitch on who you are, I'm just curious. I've heard rumors about the Greenberg family, the three the three men that uh, ran AIG and Marsh and Ace, and how they can't get together anymore on Thanksgiving because they're so competitive. So, I'm wondering: is the McCatherine family as competitive as the Greenbergs? Well, my family's a little bit different, and 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 again, thank you so much for having me. And I grew up in a, an agency family in Southern California. It was my former stepfather's agency. Um, and I was uh, one of six kids in the blended family and uh, still have a good relationship with those that are in the uh, agency business. But uh, I made my transition as the Bobby Brady of the group, recognizing that I would be the last person in the agency to uh, to really elevate to a position of leadership. I made my transition after college to join the carrier side of the business. So uh so I have gone a very different path than uh, than the other folks in the agency. So you're still friends with them. So that's that's good news. Uh, I, I'm curious as well. Uh, did you always know you would get into insurance? I, I didn't. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I actually thought I was going to do something very different in the physical therapy field. Uh, I played uh, football in college and. Uh, came to find out you can't get the hours necessary when you're a scholarship athlete. So I had to find a different path. I had worked in the agency growing up, uh, doing different functions as mundane as uh, folding envelopes and mailing uh, quote letters to manually underwriting, um, or excuse me, manually rating policies, because this was back in the you know late 80s when uh, there were very few uh, computer algorithms to do those sorts of things. So we w- broke out the calculator and broke out the rate sheet and added the additive factors and multiplied the multiplicative factors <laughs> and uh, did uh, did that the, the old school way. So, uh, But once I got into college and realized that I wanted to go down the business path, insurance made a lot of sense. Um, 
one of the things that I like to point out to people that really don't know much about insurance is nothing in this world happens without insurance. You don't hire employees without insurance. You don't build buildings without insurance. You can't drive a car. You shouldn't drive a car without insurance. You can't take a loan out on a house without insurance. You can't create a product that might have some liability without insurance. So if you look out your window, you will notice that everything happens because there's insurance in place to protect those that have either invested, purchased, work in, or live in. Um, and so uh, it became very obvious to me that it's a massive market and it was a massive opportunity and I was excited to be a part of it. So you went from doing, as you described, doing things manually, uh, letters and rate sheets and all of that. And until a few years ago, insurance was still, especially on the agency side, predominantly run in that fashion. And now you're at Hippo. Now you are a digitally savvy, a digitally native and savvy company. That, uh, what was that transition like? And could you juxtapose the two, the, the the current position you are now versus what you're doing, what you were doing in the past, and 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 what a difference that what a difference being uh, digitally native means uh, for your customers. Sure, and it, it's interesting. So I I actually so I'm 46 years old. I graduated from college in 1993, and it was still a very paper, very manually intensive prop. Uh, process, whether you are on the agency side or the company side. Uh, when I first started, I, I my first uh, insurance company career started at Mercury Insurance Group, a very successful large, uh, predominantly auto, but also homeowners insurance uh, carrier. Um, when I started at Mercury, uh, we actually had the agent submit paper applications. Our underwriting branch manager would physically review the paper application. He would assign it to an underwriter. He would give it to the data entry clerk. The data entry clerk would data enter it into our database. Uh, that file, the physical paper file, was handed to an underwriter along with 10 or 12 of those for the day. And then the underwriter would compare all the information in the system that was keyed in by the data entry operator with the paper application and then go through an underwriting process. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't get more uh, more labor intensive than that. If a, an agent wanted to process an endorsement on a policy, they would physically send in a piece of paper and the underwriter would process that on our old green screen terminals. So when I started, that's that's really how the flow worked. And then as you fast forward, you've seen a gradual transition of automation over the last, I would say, five to 10 years. But then recently, there has been a mass transition trying to maximize automation as much as possible. So it's uh, for me, it was enlightening. I, I was fortunate enough um, to to have some early successes in my career that put me into a management position. And working at Mercury, we had some flexibility to try and do some different things, uh, but still under the sort of guise of a traditional insurance company. So over the years, I've done a few different things. Um, when I left Mercury, I became CEO of Superior Access Insurance Services, which which was a large aggregator. I started my own auto insurance NGA, which is what I uh, was doing immediately uh, prior to my involvement uh, at Hippo. 
And each step of the way, we tried to bring more technology in, usually from a workflow perspective. Um, but what we're now seeing is the use of technology, not just from a workflow perspective, but more importantly, from a distribution and an underwriting perspective. And that's where I think we see the massive shift. So it's something that I've embraced for the last 24 years since I've been doing this um, and something that, frankly, I'm excited to see uh, the, the industry going. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So HIPPO is a uh, is is working in the homeowner's insurance area. So why, why does the industry need another homeowner insurer? What, what is, uh, what's the value proposition that HIPPO is bringing to the equation? So HIPPO, I like to think, as you know, there are uh, other sort of new entrants into the homeowner's insurance space. Um, I think HIPPO, and the thing that interests me and excited me about HIPPO is the combination of insurance and tech. So we all hear and read and talk about insure tech companies. In my experience and the things that I've reviewed over the last three or four years, they tend to be very tech-centric with sprinkling in of insurance. I think HIPPO, the value proposition that HIPPO has, not just from the consumer, but from the underwriter, from the reinsurer, from the fronting carrier, from the claims handling, is a nice blend of insurance and technology. I'll tell you, um, the reason that I got involved with HIPPO is I was running my auto MGA in Texas, and my reinsurance broker said, hey, you need to go meet these guys out in Silicon Valley. They're coming up with a really unique uh, homeowner's model. And I was thinking to myself, I focus on auto insurance. They focus on homeowners insurance. So I had to fly out there and meet the founder and CEO of Hippo Insurance, and that's Asaf Wand. And so once I met Asaf, uh, the one-hour meeting turned out to what a, what felt like a marathon of a deep dive into Hippo, and then a, a bit of uh, picking of my brain from the insurance side. And I'll tell you, when I left that meeting, I thought, boy, I sure wish that there was a way I could get involved with HIPPO because of that blend in the forethought of HIPPO that it needs to have some insurance integrity and elements, but take advantage of the transition into a digital world. So uh, fortunately, uh, HIPPO's CEO felt the same way. And the next thing you know, uh, I have a role as head of insurance at HIPPO. Now, you could have taken it easy. You could have just, uh, you know, created a, 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 you know, a facility that was going to do homeowners insurance. You could have pulled a, you know, standard ISO form off the shelf, wiped the dust off and started distributing it to the market. But you guys decided to take a little bit different route to try to take uh, the, the, the current homeowners insurance coverage coverages that exist on that policy form and and tweak it so that it matches the way homeowners live now and the type of exposures that they're facing and so I was wondering if you could go into what uh, what some of those coverages are uh, for one thing but also uh, you know how, how did you go about thinking making those decisions so it's so a great question, uh, and, and I'm going to back up slightly just to give you a better feel of sort of the way we think at HIPPO. We think insurance has multiple aspects, and we look at it as our three-legged stool. The first leg is um, the consumer experience, and, and that's whether that's the user interface uh, on a website 
whether it's talking to somebody over the phone, whether it's the use of bots or, or what have you, that user experience is one leg of the stool. And I would encourage anybody to go to myhippo.com and, and especially those of you that live in California and take a look at the user experience at Hippo. You literally can get a preliminary quote indication in less than 60 seconds and you can bind the policy in less than three minutes. And so the user experience is incredibly, incredibly good. Our head of product is a genius when it comes to uh, looking at uh, the, the, the flow and making sure things are clear and concise and simple. So that first leg is the user experience, and I think a lot of tech companies uh, do a very good job with the UX from a customer's perspective. The second piece is the more challenging piece, and that's talking about the product itself. So to the credit of, of our co-founders, they took a look, and they're tech guys, and they took a look at all the homeowners insurance products they could get their hands on and tried to understand the homeowners insurance space. Uh, they really believed that they needed to learn, understand what it is that makes a homeowners insurance product a good one, a bad one, one that needs improvement, what have you. So they took a look at, at, I think, 25 different homeowners insurance products. And as insurance novices, they came out of that analysis process with, with one opinion. And their opinion is that the products all uh, were, were deficient. And the reason they believe they were deficient is, and they're right, most of the homeowners insurance products, the standard ISO products, are things that were written in the 60s and 70s, and they cover you for exposures in the 60s and 70s. And you, when you're reading it, you almost feel like you're reading a policy for your grandmother uh, that it says, you know, we're going to cover you for gold, uh, gold bullion and fur coats and China <laughs> and pewter bowls and stock certificates. And I don't know about you, but I don't have gold bullion buried in my backyard. I don't know if anybody has any stock certificates anymore. I don't. I don't think you get one with your E-Trade account. Uh, fur coats, not that important pewter bowls, who knows, who cares. But what it didn't have coverage for or, or inadequate coverage were things that people need today, like home office. You know, one out of five Americans works from home at least part-time. So you need better coverage for that home office. You need better coverage for your computer equipment and, and your home electronics. You need coverage for things that you don't have coverage for under traditional ISO policy, like equipment breakdown. What happens if your HVAC system has a mechanical failure or your hot water heater has a mechanical failure? That's not typically covered under standard ISO policy. What about that service line, that utility service line, the big elm tree in your front yard blows over and it rips up your water line? Not covered under a traditional ISO-based homeowner's insurance policy. What about sewage backup? traditionally not covered. So when they looked at it, they said, there's a lot of things that are covered that nobody needs, and there's not enough coverage for things that people do need. So they decided, instead of copying a, a, a product, we're going to go ahead and build our own. So we took an ISO-based product and then enhanced it considerably for things that we felt like needed to be covered today. So that's that second leg of the stool, and, and that's the part that I think differentiates us. And we have exceptional partners on the actuarial side of the house. We use and work with Milliman. Uh, we work with Per and Knight. So we've got very good deep embedded insurance knowledge on the 
actuarial side that helps us do all these different kinds of things. So that's that second leg. Then the third leg of the stool is the part that I think as an underwriter, and by the way, my core competency is underwriting. I'm a CPCU, I'm a CIC. I was responsible for Mercury's national underwriting standardization uh, in the mid 2000s. So my core competency is underwriting. And that's what worries me traditionally when we talk to um, insure tech type companies. HIPPO's done the exact opposite. HIPPO has utilized a tremendous amount of third-party data using that big data, both traditional insurance big data, like LexisNexis and Verisk and, and, and the others, um, uh, and also, though, using some non-traditional data sources to pull information that was either never contemplated for underwriting a homeowner's policy or never really used in that fashion before. So when you take out a, a homeowner's quote and then a homeowner's policy with HIPPO, we're actually pinging multiple data sites for multiple underwriting criteria. And so we believe our underwriting is second to none. So we've simplified the user experience, we've enhanced the product, but we have not sacrificed the underwriting integrity to achieve the first two. So let me give you an example of that. When somebody goes to a, 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 an agent or the traditional distribution model to get a homeowner's quote, one question that is always asked is how old is the roof of your house? And the reality is, unless you lived in the house when the roof was replaced, or even if you did, you don't really know, you don't really remember, and you know the answer you give is probably going to cost you more money, so you typically underestimate the age of the roof instead of telling an accurate sample or example. So to me, that's much like stepping on a rusty nail in your backyard, and you go to the doctor's office, and they ask you, when's the last time you had a tetanus shot? And your response is, why? I don't know, but I know if I say, you know, 10 years ago, which is what I think it was, I'm going to have to get another shot. So I'm going to say something like, I don't know, four years. And the doctor looks at the records and then says, you realize it's been 12 years since you had a tetanus shot. And my response, of course, is no, I had no idea. I better, you know, get the shot. That's like asking somebody how old their roof is. And the reality is you've created friction in the process. And then unless you verify that data, you probably don't have a good underwriting result because you're, you're reliant on information that's inaccurate. So why not use a data source? And HIPPOs come up with significant data sources to determine what the actual condition and age of the roof is without even asking the question. So it's that use of underwriting to remove friction, to make sure you're pricing that new product correctly that makes up that three-legged stool. Yeah, I'm almost, I'm almost thinking, Rick, that, you know, I, I've been critical of the industry uh, for a long time, but I think that leg number one and leg number three were actually, actually required technology and so I can understand how that took a lot of time to develop and, and, and manifest its way into the insurance industry. But I've always struggled with the product side. So it's so refreshing to hear a company that's so focused outside of, well, this is the way we've always done it, to, well, what does the customer actually want? It's probably my biggest criticism of the industry is that, you know, you, we live in a world of Amazon and Google and Disney where the customer is centrally focused. And in my 20 years, 
I can't really say that I've seen too many examples in the insurance industry where that's happening. But I think now with the more digitally uh, native uh, um, sources of insurance that are coming in, that's that's what's happening. It's it it almost required the tech guys to come over and bring that customer focus that they've been dealing with for so many years or decades over on the tech uh, the, the the technology side and bring it into insurance. So it's very refreshing to hear about the three legged stool and and what it is that you're doing. And you know, I I'm curious as to whether you think uh, what you're bringing to the table is actually disruptive. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, we hear that phrase a lot. Uh, we, we have a competitor that uh, constantly uses that phrase. Uh, our approach is a bit different. We recognize that there are lots of reasons why the industry has done certain things. We don't immediately, like some of our, our tech insurance counterparts, look at the insurance industry and say, you're a bunch of idiots and why are you doing this? This is crazy. Um, we Our believe crooks. that there's a reason. Yeah, we believe there's a reason why many of these things have taken place. Our questioning is, is it still relevant? Is there a better way of doing things? And can we help modernize that either from the customer's expectations or from the company's expectations? So we think modernization of the insurance transaction all the way from acquisition of customer and distribution through underwriting, through claims handling, with the actuarial results, you have everything. We need to always take a look. And that's just sound business. Forget insurance in every business. If you're not constantly looking at what you do, um, you, you're, you're moving behind. And we think the industry has done a lot of things that make a lot of sense. You know, part of the reason that people don't want to, that, that those in the industry don't want to change the product is uh, without much data, they question, can I price it properly? And our approach at Hippo and is a little bit different. We recognize that it's difficult to price a brand new product correctly. But what we're going to do is take our best guess. And that guess is well educated with, you know, exceptional actuaries and trying to come up with a, a lost pick. And then we'll adjust as we need to adjust. But we don't use the lack of tangible information as a crutch to to avoid us trying new and different things. You constantly develop, you implement, you review, you monitor, you change, you develop, you review, you implement, you, you know, the process continues. And that's where a lot of other industries have done a lot of good work. And our industry is just a little bit behind on that because, you know, insurance generally, uh, and people that work in the insurance industry are generally risk adverse. And, and that's what you want from your insurance company. You, you want your insurance company generally to be relatively conservative. And we just think that some have become a little bit too conservative and we think the market is massive and we have a way of doing business. Uh, other companies can continue to do things the way that they do them, but we think ultimately our process will win the day and we think we are gravitating towards consumers that share the same kind of thought process that we have. So I'm, you know, I'm looking through, um, you know, a list of a list of questions that we kind of um, kind of mapped out, and 
you know, I, we, we went into you, you know, the whole disruption thing. And, and I think you answered that beautifully. Um, you know, uh, Tony and I, we, we blog about this all the time and, it, you know, the, always trying to go into whether the insurance, whether the industry is going to be disrupted or not. But in reality, it's, uh, it, and what I find really refreshing about HIPAA was you've spent so much time discussing about, uh, you know, the, in, the professional insurance staff. This isn't a bunch of tech guys that are coming in just trying to kick the thing over. It's you're, you're trying to actually solve the problem and you recognize, well, to solve this problem, some of the, we, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's, there's a lot right. of the stuff that we're currently doing works. So let's, let's keep what works and let's add the new things that really fit with what our customers need and desire. Right. I think that's I, th I think that's exactly right. And, and we do this. I mean, on a daily basis, we talk about things. And, and I'll tell you, we've got a good team of insurance people to go along with our exceptional team of tech people. And and what we do is the tech people will ask questions because they don't understand it. And we never ever say, well, that's just the way it's done, or that's the way the industry has always done it. Never. That that is. Uh, uh, you know, a horrible situation. Uh, anybody says that at Hippo, they probably won't have a job the next day. The answer is let's look at why the industry did it. And some of us have a little bit of gray hair, so we can look back and understand the reasons why. And let's talk about is it still relevant today? And some of the time, the answer is absolutely yes. And anybody that wants to change that would be insane. Other times, it's you know, it, it was relevant 10 years ago, but it's not relevant today. So is there a better way of doing it or a different way of doing it? Um, and that's important to us to recognize, you know, I use claims as an example. Uh, there's, there's a lot of energy and effort of people talking about, hey, let's make the claims process as quick and as easy as possible. Um, there's some companies out there that use bots to, to talk about claims and handle certain aspects of the claims, um, the, the claims flow and the claims process. We think that's a mistake. We think when your house just burned down, you need to call your insurance company, and the first thing that that representative needs to ask is, do you have a place to stay tonight? What do you need? What can we do? It, that's a catastrophic situation. You're distraught. You don't know what to do. The last thing that we need to, to ask is, you know, how did the fire start? Did you file a police, you know, a police report? Was there an accident? All of these kinds of things. We need to take care of customers. So in a certain aspect, we are very, uh, uh, you know, hands-on. When it comes to a claim, we want you to be taken care of, and we're not going to use a bot, and we're not going to use a computer, and we're not going to try to simplify or streamline that process because the first and most important thing to us is, are you okay? And we think that that's an important blend in a tech-driven world. We still think that empathetic, helpful claims person that can get you back where you need to be as quickly as possible is very important. So that's a blend, you know, a blend of kind of two worlds. What was the the uh, the toughest part of of getting Hippo up and running? The, the the hardest part usually is to have an open mind uh, and to recognize that things change, the world changes. Um, I've got two young uh, sons. I've got a twin a 10-year-old boys. And as I drive down the road and see something like a phone booth, uh, 
course, it doesn't work and the phone's probably not in there anymore. I think about when I started my career at Mercury and when I was out in the field visiting independent agents, I would stop at phone booths and I would, well, there were no cell phones or, or if they were, they were the size of, you know, a suitcase. Um, and you see how, you know, that doesn't feel like that long ago, but look how the world has changed. What if nobody said there's a better way of doing things? The, the phone booth worked fine. You know, mapping, uh, Thomas Brother guides or Maxco guides, those work fine. Well, now what do we have? We have Waze. We have Google Maps. We have lots of other things. So I think the hardest part for anybody to do is take something that's working fine and saying, let's enhance it. Let's improve it. And I got to tell you, I think that the tech people and technological innovation and heavily driven towards places like the Silicon Valley where Hippo is, that constant kind of Amazon, Google, Apple, find a different way, let's streamline it, let's change it, let's make it different. That's ingrained in the DNA of tech people. That is certainly not ingrained in the DNA of insurance people. So the hardest part is recognizing uh, and being self-aware enough to say, we need to look at something and if it made sense 10 years ago. It might make sense today, but it might not make sense. So that's that's the part that was most difficult. And I think in the industry, that's the part the industry is struggling with. The industry is struggling with um, a bunch of tech guys coming in and saying, you need to change things. But unless there's some intelligence behind the change, the easy answer for the industry is you just don't know what you're doing and you're not going to be here in five years uh, after you know you, you fail. Instead of doing that, I think what the industry needs to do is look at the suggestions of the tech industry and say, can we blend this with what we're doing today to enhance the experience, enhance the product, and enhance the process? What's been the most exciting part so far of HIPAA? The daily changes. You, you know, you, you show up early in the morning and go to work, and at the end of the day, 13 things have changed, uh, and the next day, you know, 12 others will, will change as well. It's the constant pace. It's the movement of uh, sort of moving the ball forward, continually looking to enhance and improve. You know, we launched at Hippo about three months ago. We've already had three different iterations of our user experience. Um, so it's that constant change that excites me. It's the fact that there is no status quo. It is a constant evolution. And if some days you take a step or two back. And other days you take five steps forward. But that constant vision of looking down the, you know, down the field and seeing where you want to be, but not knowing exactly how you're going to get there, it's that process along the way of that constant evolution that, that excites me. What was it like when the first policy was sold? Well, you know, it, this is, uh, now keep in mind, our office is right in, in Mountain View, California, so the middle of Silicon Valley. It's not a cubicle-enriched environment uh, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. It is uh, a completely different experience. So uh, we have monitors everywhere. We have speakers in music, and uh, as soon as that first policy was bound, speakers were going off, monitors were showing <laughs> fireworks. Our CEO sits on the floor with our tech people and our insurance people. Right now, we have about 25 people in, in Mountain View. We all sit. The, the, the person that sits furthest away from me is probably 35 feet. 
uh, on all flat tables. So we all work in a collaborative environment together. Um, and it was, uh, frankly, it was an exciting time, uh, lots of energy, lots of noise. And shoot, since then, we've uh, had that same experience uh, several hundred other times. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's going quite well. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I'm I'm running into uh, I'm I'm create, trying to create something, just as you guys are, and I, it's just part of my imaginative process that keeps me rolling forward. As I just can't wait to that first day when that first policy gets sold, and I want it to be like that. I want fireworks, and I want the New York Stock Exchange bell. You know, I, I want all of that. That's uh, that's very much you know now so we have a we have a, a a bell that rings every time a policy is sold, and fortunately for us we're hearing that uh, several times a day, nice. um, and uh, and sometimes it's uh, it's somewhat constant, uh, but the excitement never changes. You, you look across the room, and whether it was our third policy or our three hundredth policy or, you know, 500 Paul's, whatever, the excitement is still there because, you know, especially the guys that um, built the built the program and built the product and the tech guys is they built something that was very different and now they're seeing that customers actually like what they built and are buying things online. And it's, it's a fun, exciting place. And I'll, I'll tell you, as I talk and meet with people in the industry that have been around a long time and, and really tell them what we're doing, they have the same excitement. It, it, I think the industry likes the innovation. Uh, sometimes some of us are a little bit nervous about it, but once we recognize that this isn't just throw it against the wall and see what sticks, there was a lot of thought and a lot of process that goes into it, a lot of insurance sort of core values that go into it then they recognize, wow, you know, you can make a change. You can work for a company that is constantly sort of questioning the, the, the norm and the status quo, all for the purpose of enhancing the customer's experience, enhancing the product, and obviously enhancing the success of the company you work for. What would you, what would you say to a someone that was graduating from college and was considering a career in insurance, what kind of advice would you give them? So first of all, I don't think there's nearly enough people that are doing that. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it is the, it, the insurance industry is a very rewarding industry, whether you're a salesperson and you deliver a check for that, uh, the life insurance policy, you know, you've got a, a family that, that, maybe the husband passed away and the wife and the kids don't know what to do and you're delivering that check to give them some kind of, of financial comfort during this just horrible time or somebody's house burnt down and you're helping them rebuild it or, you know, whatever the situation is. I, I don't think there's enough people doing it. Um, the industry is massive. Um, what the advice I would give is if you really want to work in a industry that, uh, touches every aspect of life, insurance is a great industry to do it. And I would encourage people to always question and always have an open mind. I remember the first thing that I did at 22 years old working in an underwriting branch was recommend a process change in a company that had been in business for 50 years and the manager was getting close to retirement and listened to this 22-year-old kid and said, yeah, why don't we try it? 
I'd encourage the leadership of insurance companies, try different things. Some will fail, but some will work and will make the company, the product, and the customer uh, better off for it. So it's that constant questioning and constantly looking for a better way of doing things is something that our industry needs more of. And I think young people already have that uh, from their college experience. And I think bringing that into a traditional industry benefits both. Good advice. Good advice. Where does HIPAA go from here? Um, what are what are your plans over the next couple of years? Um, I, I assume that it is to expand beyond California. It is. Uh, we are approved in California and Arizona, and we have a relatively aggressive uh, growth strategy. So it is our goal by the end of 2018 to be in uh, states that represent close to 80% of the U.S. population. Our focus is uh, homeowners insurance, uh, all the way from the standard HO3 policy through the dwelling fire and the condo owners HO6 policies. Uh, our focus is there. Uh, we have partnerships to handle some of the other types of product lines that people might be interested in, um, but we want to grow it and continually evolve the homeowner's product, the intelligent underwriting, and the user experience every step of the way. Well, you must be very busy then. So I, I've become uh, a little bit of a productivity nerd. So with with all of this busyness that you have to go through, what are some of the tools that you use uh, to help you stay organized, to help you stay productive and effective? You know, it's funny because I, I think there's one word that allows for that, and that word is communication. And I think our environment is very collaborative, very communicative, and constantly letting everybody on the team know what the process is, what we're trying to do, what the goal is. You know, a lot of companies, I may go out and work on a distribution, a partnership platform and, and work all that out. And everybody on the HIPPO team knows what I'm doing. So we are all moving towards the same end goal. So with communication, I think is critical. Our CEO and co-founders do a great job of making sure everybody understands what the vision is. We do this on a weekly basis and everybody's moving in the same direction. So when you communicate as clearly and as, as often and as, um, free, and as sort of familiar as we are all working in a single room together, that keeps us moving forward. You know, I hear what the tech people challenges are. Instead of them having to send an email and go through 14 layers of management to get an answer, they say, hey, Rick, they ask their question, I give them an answer, and they implement it right there on the spot. So although we're doing a lot of things and we have a lot of balls in the air, we don't waste any time on the bureaucratical aspects of what we do. It's all open communication, collaboration, and implementation. And that allows us to do a lot of things very quickly because we're not spinning our wheels and wasting time on uh, getting buy-off from you know, layers of management. Well, that's good advice as well because I, I – I, I look back at my career and I think the times where I've been absolutely most productive was not necessarily when I had the best technology. It's when I was able to get out of my seat and actually approach the person that I needed to speak to. And in those environments where that person is like right next to you, uh, I can imagine if everyone is at least opening open to having conversation versus 
using Slack or uh, sending information around by email, that would make a that would make a big difference getting stuff done collaboratively. It does. I mean, we've I've worked in you know a few organizations over the years. I've never seen anything as flat as Hippo. There there is no hierarchy. It is it is a completely flat organization. And I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. We were in a meeting, and um, our or uh, our co-founder and CTO of the company uh, was in that meeting. We were talking about something we wanted to change through our policy administration system. By the way, we built our own, so we, we don't use any off-the-shelf uh, systems uh, from a policy management perspective. We actually built our own policy admin system, and we did it in about three months. And the reason we could do it so quickly and the reason that the environment works is we were in a meeting and our director of underwriting was saying it would be really helpful if and pointed out a couple things in the system that he would like to see enhanced. And our, our co-founder and CTO was in the, sitting in the corner of the room banging away on his laptop. And, you know, at first I was thinking he's not really listening. And the next thing I know, he says, refresh your screen. And the changes that the underwriting director wanted were up in production on the screen. So in a matter of about five minutes, he actually enhanced the workflow and the productivity for the underwriter because he was in a meeting listening at what the underwriter's needs were. That's fantastic. I think that's going to become the norm in the next few years uh, as more digitally native players come in and they can do that. You know, if it's, uh, it, it just, what you just described is what I've heard uh, that happens at companies like Facebook, where uh, I think I heard one story where a, a grandfather was telling his grandson about how he couldn't do something in Facebook. And while they were talking on the phone, he went in and changed the code to Facebook and updated updated the app to be able to handle that particular frustration that this older gentleman had. So that's, that's just fantastic. Hats off to you guys. No, and it's, and it's true. And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of our people, our, our head of product uh, was uh, a, a well-accomplished product guy at LinkedIn. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're constantly bringing in talent that understands how to move things and how to move them into production very, very quickly. So that is one of the advantages of, of Hippo being in, you know, right in the middle of Silicon Valley. I mean, we're about three miles from Google. Um, and so, you know, we get some of our team members are ex-Google people. And you just, you, you see how quickly Google does things. And we're taking advantage of that and that sort of ingrained DNA aspect of moving the ball forward at Hippo because of the people we bring in. Our, our CEO actually uh, he, he has said many times, we'd rather a position in the company be vacant than hire the wrong person. So it, it's funny, the first time I brought on a team member at Hippo, um, it, it went through this kind of community interviewing process for what really was, a, it was a non-technical position. And at first I was a little bit put off going, you know, I've hired literally hundreds of people over the years. I, I know what the right fit is for this. Well, I'd only been at Hippo for a couple of weeks. I didn't know what the right fit 
was for hippos culture. And that's the piece that I think is critical. So we're 25 strong, but we function like 50 because culturally everybody fits in, has the same type of of drive and the same type of uh, communication skills to make sure everything continues at a quick pace. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate that. Um, this, Rick, this is the part of the show. I'll play some, play some music here, where we a game that we call Rank the Risk, where I, well, I will ask you and Tony. In this particular case, let me turn that off. Uh, one question. Uh, dealing with homeowners insurance and the the basis of the game is uh, to have you and Tony rank the risks from uh, most severe to least severe out of the four options that I give you and so uh, my one question is I want you and Tony to rank the loss costs for for these four states California Florida Louisiana and Connecticut. And so essentially just uh, just Rick just wanted you to rank those from what you think the loss costs are by order from the most from the highest loss cost to the lowest for the states of California, Florida, Louisiana, and Connecticut. And Rick you're, oh, the, you're the guest, so I'm going to I'm going to let you go first. All right. So, uh, great question. So, the highest loss cost uh, for homeowners insurance. Traditional I homeowner. Would go, correct. I would go the highest being or the most expensive loss cost. Uh, I would start with Florida. Uh, second would be Louisiana. Third would be California. And fourth would be Connecticut. Tony? I've got California first, uh, Florida second, Louisiana third, and Connecticut fourth. Okay, Rick, congratulations! You didn't get it in exact order, but you got the you got the the uh, two most important ones. By loss costs, Florida is by far number one. Uh, you know they they get everything. They get lightning, hurricanes, uh, tornadoes, hailstorms. They get everything. And sinkholes too. I mean, Florida is just right, a, right. a not cat prone state. Uh, Louisiana gets a, pretty much a lot of the same things. They're number two. Uh, Connecticut is number three. That that surprised oh, me. I, Connecticut and California reverse. That did surprise yeah. me. I I figured uh, I figured it would be uh, three California, four Connecticut. But that's interesting. It is very interesting, and it, and it surprises me. I, I I wonder what that is. I'll tr- I'll see if I can dig into that a little bit. But for such a for such a small state and such a passive state, you know, I think they they do have exposure to hurricane, they do have winter storms, but it's definitely not a a, a tornado hail state. Um, they don't get a lot of other things that are going on. So I, I'm wondering if it's something that. It, that is just uh, that we should know about that is unfamiliar. Maybe they have high casualty costs. Who knows? But uh, yeah, uh, California was outside of that list and uh, fourth on on that. So very good. You, hip, hippos, hippos, very lucky to have you. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I will tell you, I need to learn what's about Connecticut before we go in there. So uh, I've got some homework to do on my end. Uh, 
Tony, do you have any parting remarks? I, I'm kind of blown away. This is the quietest I've ever been while I've actually been part of an interview. And the reason for that is, is that it, it's just been so interesting. Uh, I love what HIPAA is doing. I, I, I love that, that you are focused on the actual product, not just on doing it fast and cheap, uh, not just on technology. Uh, so, you know, my money's on Hippo. When, when it comes to, to the current crop of, of uh, insurance companies, uh, Hippo's the one that gets me really excited. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's, it's been great. Uh, we'll, we'll have to follow up uh, at, at some point just to see how the expansion goes. Well, thank you so much. I've had a great time being here and look forward to chatting with you anytime you want, Tony. Yeah, so our, our guest so this much. week, yes, our guest this week has been Rick McCatherine of uh, Hippo Insurance. Rick, really, uh, thank you so much for being on the show and best of luck to you and to Hippo in the coming year. And, and as you guys progress, uh, we will reach out to you again. Let's get you back on the show and so you can update the audience on how well you guys are doing. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Nick. Okay, Rick. Thank you. <laughs>